God, I thank you today that, Lord, even as we started with Psalm 23, we're still declaring that surely your goodness and your mercy is following, running. It's, it's, it's coming after us. And so, God, we say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being faithful to us. And we can all say, all my life you have been faithful. Not certain weeks, not certain months, all my life. So God, over these next few moments, as the word is opened up, I pray that we would recognize that goodness, that mercy, and really how faithful you've been to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking, God, even through, through, through song today. Thank you, Father, for every person that's watching. Open up our hearts in these next few moments for what you're going to begin to speak to us. So grateful, God, for your word, your eternal word that is truth. Truth today in a society that needs a word from you. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm so excited that you're here today and listening to us and joining us here at Times Square Church. I want to take a few minutes and we're going to, I want you to kind of lock in because I think there's something very important that God is going to begin to speak to us, really not just to us as a church, but I think even to us as a nation and us as a church around the world. I heard this story and it made me laugh, but I want you to listen because I think it has some significance. There was two men that were together and they were, they were debating with each other who was more religious until one challenged the other and said, if you're so religious, let me hear you begin to quote the Lord's Prayer. He says, I'll bet you $10 that you can't quote the Lord's Prayer. And to which the man, without batting an eyelash, took the bet and simply said this, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The first man pulled out his wallet and gave him the $10. He said, I didn't think you could do it. Okay, now listen, he didn't quote the Lord's prayer. In fact, what the man did was, I want you to listen. He said, I qu he quoted a song from 1920. In fact, the name of the song was called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, which is a song by Sidney Mitchell written in 1920. And it was the difference between the song Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep to Our Father, which art in heaven, which is a prayer by the Son of God from the Sermon on the Mount. The man thought he was quoting Jesus when in actuality he was really quoting Sidney. There's a big difference between Jesus and Sydney. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of this phrase, spiking the ball on the five-yard line? And what that actually means. It's a, it's, a, it's a football term. And in fact, it's a, it's a term that I think is really important to what God really wants to speak to us today. In fact, it means to celebrate too early. It means you thought you scored, but you actually came up short and you didn't really get any points at all. You didn't get a. You didn't cross the the into the end zone. You didn't cro cross over um, the the one yard line, and you started to celebrate on the five yard line too early, and didn't make it in, and you didn't even put any points on the board, and and celebrating on the five yard line thinks you won when actuality or you scored when actuality you didn't. See the now I lay me down to sleep man thought he scored. He knew a prayer, but not the prayer that Jesus prayed. He thought 
he got into the end zone when actually he didn't get into the end zone. Let me just pause for a second because I want you to keep that in mind for a second. Let me tell you who gets into the end zone every single week and those who score. It's those that make the commitment to Jesus to become born again. Can I let you know today that for those that have prayed that prayer to be born again every single Sunday, they're praying with, with Pastor Carter at the prayer meeting on Tuesday night, praying with us on, on, Sunday, on Sunday. When you are asking Jesus to become Lord and Savior of your life, I, that you're saying, I want to be born again, you are scoring. Can I give you something that I want to challenge you with? I want you to get, let's stay with the football terminology. I want you to get the extra point. You're in, you scored. And Jesus says, unless a man or woman is born again, and I'll explain this later, he'll never see or enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's John 3, 3 and John 3, 5. But let me tell you what I would love for you to do, because we want to celebrate really with you and in the end zone. We are getting ready in the midst of all that is happening around the world. As I told you, though, the church doors are closed. The church is still happening. And can I tell you one of those ways the church is still happening? Next Sunday, we want to celebrate. We want to spike the ball in the end zone with you and celebrate. Next Sunday, we are going to do something so special. It's our worldwide water baptism. We have people from all over the world. Right now, I want to challenge you. If you have prayed that prayer to be born again, I want you to do me a favor. I, I want you to kind of get that extra point. I want you to text TSC Baptism to 94090. TSC Baptism. If you've been born again, this is your next step is to be water baptized. Well, Pastor Tim, how can we do it? The church is not open. Oh, we've got great news for you. In fact, we're going to give you a tutorial how you can be baptized, whether it's a pond, whether it's your pool, a lake, even your bathtub. And do you know so far we have almost 100 people that are getting water baptized next week online. A hundred people we're going to celebrate with from all over the world. In fact, one of the people that because of your generosity, those 300 children that you're supporting in the mountains of Panama, do you know what they've sent to us? A video of seven of them that are being water baptized. You've helped do that. And I just want to challenge you. If that is something that you, you've been born again and have never been water baptized, I want you to know it could be done in a lake. It could be done in a river. There's nothing. We don't have special water in this church from the Jordan River. There's nothing special. This, that's this good old New York City tap water in there. And your water is as good as our water. But what we're doing is it's we are announcing and declaring to the world that what Jesus has done, the old man is going under and a new man is coming up. And we want to celebrate with you. We're going to show the videos. We're going to show the pictures next Sunday. And we can't wait to celebrate not only with those seven children from Panama. We've gotten videos and pictures coming in from Nigeria, the UK, and all over the world, Mexico. And we are going to celebrate what God has done in that. These people aren't spiking the ball on the five-yard line. These people have scored and are doing amazing. But I want you to think about that for just a moment, because I think the church has been spiking the ball on the five-yard line these last five months during the pandemic and the civil unrest that we've been facing in the nation. I think this is some of the most important words I can share with you during these last five months. I think the church of Jesus, listen to me close, has been quoting Sydney and missing Jesus. Just like that man, that crazy story, that the church of Jesus has been quoting Sydney, now I lay me down to sleep, and missing Jesus, our Father, which art in heaven. We've been celebrating a win when in actuality we've spiked the ball on the five-yard line and have missed what Jesus has actually said.
I'm going to speak very carefully in the next few moments. So tune in, just kind of lean in for the next few moments. I I want you to think about this with what we're facing even as a nation. Think about the movement and has there been any extensive movement with what we're facing with even the racial injustice and civil unrest? Seriously, I want you to think about that. Have we seen even movement of that? And everyone has had some conversations on social media, um, on the church stage. But I, I want us to ask the question, has there been movement? Have we seen the ball move forward into the end zone on this? I know I'm about to get into some sensitive area, but I'm okay with that. Because whenever you stand on the word of God, it doesn't matter what anybody says. I trust what the word of God says. See, the church has a responsibility to bring Jesus's thoughts to current events and not some other person's opinions. See, that's what's important. The church has a responsibility to bring what Jesus thinks to current events and not just opinions of other people. See, we interpret life or we have to interpret life through God's word. One German theologian called Bart said it like this, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read them both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. That's important to understand. What he was saying was it was his way of declaring we need to let the timeless biblical truth engage and interpret our current culture that we are faced here, even as a nation, with, 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 with all that we're going through. And that's why we must let, listen, Jesus speak to our times and not Sydney. We must let Jesus speak and not just opinions of others. See, every time you speak Jesus, you speak Jesus's thoughts when you bring the word of God to the events of life. And this is, this is really important for us to understand. See, David said, here is why we bring the word of God to this, because of the nature and the character of the word of God. Listen for just a moment to Psalm 119, 160 of what the Bible, call, what the Bible says about itself. David says, the sum total of all of your words adds up to absolute truth. And one of your righteous decrees is everlasting. And every one of your righteous decrees is everlasting. Listen to those words again. The sum total of all your words adds up to absolute truth. And every one of your righteous decrees is, after, is everlasting. You know what that was saying? That God's word is absolute truth. And God's word is eternal truth, absolute and eternal, absolute and forever truth. You know what that means? It means no expiration date and it has no competition. The opinions of man can't compete with absolute truth and everlasting truth that the Bible has. One of, one of my spiritual fathers in the faith, Leonard Ravenhill, said it like this. The Bible is either absolute or it's obsolete. I choose to believe with David. The Bible is absolute. That's why we bring it to bear on what we're facing. All the events of our lives need to have interpretation, that what we go through. And Jesus speaks to this interpretation issue in Luke chapter 12. And I think for what we're facing as a country today, the global pandemic, social injustice, the fight, against even Christianity and, and Christianity becoming an enemy in our, in our secular society. I think Jesus gives us a grid. Jesus speaks to current events today. When I begin to see this, 
I began to realize how important this is for the body of Christ to understand Jesus's thoughts on what we're facing today. Listen to Luke chapter 12, verse 54. Jesus was speaking to the crowd and it said this. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the West, immediately you say it's going to rain and it does. And when the, and when the South wind blows, you say it's going to be hot and it is. And then Jesus says these words, hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Wow. Think of those words again for just a moment. Let, 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 me, let me say them again. You don't know how to interpret, Jesus says, this present time. This is so important. I, I, one, one man, Henry Nouwen, says it like this. He says, Jesus does not look at the events of our times as a series of incidents and accidents that have little to do with us. He says, Jesus sees the political and economic and social events of our life as signs that call for a spiritual interpretation. In fact, he says, they need to be read spiritually when you're looking at what's happening all around you. But how do we interpret these times that we're in as the church, as the people of God? And here's what's amazing. Without missing a beat, Jesus shows us. He speaks to the hypocrisy and says, you know how to tell the weather, but you can't even speak to the times you're, you're, you're supposed to be believers. You're supposed to be religious people and you're not even speaking to the times that we're in. Now keep, keep this in mind. We are looking at the eternal and absolute, Psalm 119, 160, absolute truth of God here. So I want you to pause for a moment. I want you just to listen to me. Remember, when the Bible was written, there was no chapter divisions or verse numbers. When, when Luke was, was penning the gospel. He didn't write uh, Luke chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. In fact, it wasn't until around the 12th century that Stephen Langton, the Archbishop of Canterbury, separated the Bible just to make it easier for those that would speak it in, into chapters and verses. Because the problem that we face sometimes is we, was as we're reading the Bible, we think a chapter could be the next day, the next month, the next year. That Some of us who are reading the Bible will kind of read through a chapter and then stop and come back to it the next day. So keep this in mind, because reading what Jesus just said and understanding what comes next is so important. Now, this is not, this is not um, uh, really uh, groundbreaking what I'm about to share, but it is important. Luke 12 flows right into Luke 13. This whole story, and even rebuke that Jesus gives, this whole story begins to go together. So let me ask the question again. How do we give spiritual interpretation to what is happening around us? Because I think this is exactly what Jesus begins to do. See, Jesus just finishes his words and a shout from the audience comes from a current event tragedy, much like what the tragedy we've seen today. It was really a social injustice. A, it was, it was a, a, a racial injustice that took place. And it was a shout in Luke 13 that comes from the audience. And Jesus shows us how to interpret 
what is being said there. It was, it was like real time. It was like a lab um, that Jesus was giving to us to say, this is how you do it. And it, what's interesting to me is this isn't end times d- d- trying to figure out when Jesus is coming. It's not what we call eschatology. This is Jesus speaking to something that's happening in real time. This is Jesus speaking, don't miss this now, to literally a current event, an unjust death of a number of Jews that Pilate begins to impose upon them. Let me read it to you, Luke 13:1. Now on the same occasion, remember, this is what we were just reading in Luke chapter 12. There is no break in the story. So Luke 13:1. Now on the same occasion, there was some present who reported to him, right in the midst of why Jesus is speaking. Remember Luke 12 goes right into Luke 13. There's no break about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifice. Unjust deaths to Jesus' own people. See, the governor Pilate had just executed some men from Galilee and literally to, uh, with, with, with disdain for the Jewish people, Pilate mingles their blood with the Roman sacrifices. It was a tragedy. It was tragic death that takes place. And Jesus is about to do what he challenges those people to do. See, when Jesus heard those words in Luke 13, 1, he was about to interpret the times for them, listen, and give a lesson to us for what we're faced as Christians and what we're seeing happening in our nation and what we're seeing happen around the world. Here it is. Jesus now takes the current event And he says these words, and Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the Galileans because they suffered this fate? He said, I tell you, no. And then he says, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. And then he adds another story, a current event story that just happened. And Jesus says, or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? And he says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Here's what I want us to understand today. Listen to me, Christians. Listen to me, church. Jesus doesn't give a political interpretation of the event, but really a spiritual one. Now get ready, because what Jesus says is what happened, what happened in your society, what happened in your culture, what happened in your city What happened in your nation invites you, here it is, to a conversion. That's the word repent. This is the deepest meaning of history. It's an invitation calling us to turn our hearts to God and to discover the full measure of our lives. See, this is the part I want you to understand today where I was challenged. What we just read is epic, my friend, to what we're facing even as a nation. Do you understand what Jesus just said? And in a sense, the gift he just gave to the church in Luke 12 and in Luke 13. If I'm right, the church has been spiking the ball on the five-yard line. We've been quoting Sidney, Sidney, Sidney Mitchell and missing Jesus. We're spiking the ball before we get in. That instead of bringing Jesus to term on, on what we're facing, to bring Jesus' thoughts on tragedy, Jesus' thoughts on injustice, Jesus' thoughts on pandemic, Jesus' thoughts on any area of our life, and letting him interpret it, we're quoting Sidney Mitchell 
And we're missing what Jesus has to say. Church leaders are quoting each other when we should be quoting Jesus. We're, we're quoting what some other person says when Jesus gives it here in Luke 12 and Luke 13. See, every tragic story and injustice we have recently seen is a call, listen, to conversion and not simply to a conversation. Every thing that we're seeing take place, Jesus was saying tragedy is a call to conversion and not simply just to talk about it. And churches all over America have been having conversations on their stages, but not calling the nation to conversion. Here it is. Jesus calls the listeners to repentance. That's what he does. That's what he says in the story. He says, we need to come to this issue of repentance. Calling the church to conversation is spiking the ball in the five-yard line. You're asking people to talk about deep life matters without a heart reformation. See, that's why we as Christians, we need, we need a reformation. Non-Christians need a conversion. And we're calling, spiking the ball, calling for conversations. We're, we're pulling, putting believers on a stage with a microphone to discuss things that have not even been worked through in our own hearts. How do, how do we define all that's happening today? How does, let's ask this question. How does Jesus, how does Jesus interpret the injustice done to the Jews here? Let, let me read Luke 12, 56, what, what it says in, in, in one, in one uh, paraphrase. It says like this. He says this. He says, you're such experts at forecasting the weather, but you're totally unwilling to understand the spiritual significance of the time that you're living in. Right after Jesus' challenge, that's when he puts them in the lab and says, let me take a current event. And let me show you what God is asking us to do. The lab is a tragedy against the Jews, his own people. See, the danger for us today as the people of God is we're not ending our current events with conversions, but we're ending them with conversations. Let me say that again. We're not doing what Jesus said. We're quoting Sidney and not Jesus. We're not ending our current events with conversions, but with conversations. The, 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 these national incidences showing the church, we do need a reformation. We need a conversion. I've watched the conversations. I'm going, God, I don't, need, I don't need simply a conversation. I need a conversion, a conversion of our soul, a conversion of your church, a reformation to take place deep within us. That's why Jesus calls for repentance in Luke chapter 13. See, let me just say it like this. A changed America is a repentant America, not simply an educated America. Think about this. We're spiking the ball on the five-yard line and, and without our hearts being changed. That's what repentance does. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Education without values is as useful as, as it seems to make a man a more clever devil. Do you understand what Lewis just said? He says what Lewis was saying was he's to try to educate an unconverted man is giving more information to a darkened soul that needs light, not information. It needs the light of the gospel. That's what we need today in our country. Luke 13, two through three, let me read it again. Jesus responded, do you think those murdered Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Not at all. But unless we turn to God, unless we repent, Jesus says we'll die. And what he was saying was this, stop calling for simply a conversation with chairs and a microphone. Call for conversion. Call for repentance. Interpret it correctly. Interpret. Do you think that, that it, what Pilate, who caused this, do you think what Pilate needed 
was a conversation. Pilate needed his heart changed. Pilate needed a conversion in his soul, not a conversation. That's what Jesus was saying. How do you deal with Pilate? Who causes all of this? Not with a conversation, but it's a conversion, a work that happens deep in our soul. What, what is, let me be as practical as I can, because this is, this is really, I feel this. I feel what God is saying to us today is we're, we're missing something. I think Jesus has given us plainly what we're supposed to do. It's a call to conversion. What, what does a call to conversion look like? Or, 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 or maybe better to say, not only does what does a call to conversion look like, but how can we speak Jesus and not Sydney to these situations? I want to give you a few thoughts. This is why conversations don't work and conversion is paramount. I, I, want, to, I want to explain why this is so important. Let me, let me give you three reasons why conversations don't work and conversion is, is paramount. Now jot these down. Number one, the Bible says we all have deceitful hearts. We have broken hearts. We have a defective heart that has to be fixed before we can become effective. The defect has to be addressed before we can have effect on our society. Listen to what Jeremiah says. It says this, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart, examine the mind. I go to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. What he was saying was this. He says, to educate a heart that is already broken and deceitful, he says, you're not going to end up in the right place because we're dealing with a broken heart, a defective heart. That needs to be changed. And we'll talk about that change at the very end. I remember, talk about, talk about that, that heart that sometimes is, that is broken and, and misses it. I remember my oldest daughter, Anna, got a bad grade on her math test in, in the fifth grade. And I remember Cin, Cindy and I, my wife, sitting down with her. And, and this is the girl gets a bad grade who eventually become um, one of the top three students in her graduating class give, give the graduation speech to her student, student body. But when Cindy and I sat with Anna in fifth grade, we said, we, we gently told her, we said, Anna, you're going to have to really study. You're going to have to bear down um, because this is going to be important and you're going to thank us for this. And we tried to really do it gently. I'll never forget. Cindy looked at Anna and said, what what do you hear us telling you? Just to make sure you understand. And so, so you remember, we just go, you're going to have to bear down. She, she there with tears coming down, she says, you're angry with me and I'm a failure. I said, no, that's, that's not what we're saying. How, where do you come up with that? Where, where, does, where would Anna even come up with that? It's our hearts. They're broken. They're dark. We, we interpret from that lens. Our hearts need to be fixed. Our hearts need to be changed. See, people can get in a mindset because, because it's hard to break because of the, the heart. See, you can't change a mindset without a heart reset. You can't change a mind without changing the heart. And so to just give information to the mind without the heart coming to repentance we, we, we kind of miss this. So you get, a, you get this one thought in your mind. You have to be changed. I laughed. I was thinking about my 98-year-old mom. I, I'll never forget. She had it stuck in her mind um, when she was having back problems at 90 years old. She, this is a woman in amazing health. I'll never forget us bringing her to the doctor. 
And the doctor said, listen, at your age, we don't want to put you, we don't want to put you in surgery. Let, let's see, let's give you steroids to see if this kind of helps the back problems. I'll never forget my mom. This was stuck in her mind. I'll never forget my mom said, Mm-mm, I'm not doing any steroids. I'm too old to have muscles. I was telling her, I said, mom, that's not, you're not going to get built or, or jacked up because uh, you, got, you got steroids. That's, that's, that's what she thought. It's the mindset. But man, it goes deeper than that for us. Man, when our heart's not fixed, it doesn't matter what you put up here, our hearts need to be fixed. But you know what You know what else, why this conversion talk is so important instead of a conversation, why we need to have conversions? Number two is we inflate ourselves to ourselves. We inflate ourselves to ourselves. This, listen to what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12, 3. He says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to have sound judgment. Don't think higher than you should. And, and what he was saying was, he was, it was a challenge of our inflated thoughts about ourselves. We, we were recently on vacation. One of the things my three girls love to do is to go um, shopping at used clothes, that would be the Goodwill and the Salvation Army. Um, we would call them used, they call them vintage. So we, we, I took my, my girls shopping and while we got to the end and we were at the cash register, I remember the, the person at the cash register, talk about not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. The person, the woman says, are any of you, obviously she's speaking to me, are any of you over 55 years old so you can get the 25% discount? I said, no, no, grandma and grandpa aren't here. And then my girls looked at me, I go, wait, I am 56 years old. I got my first senior citizen discount at the Salvation Army and I forgot how old I am. I was thinking of myself more highly than I ought to. And then, but I, let me just tell you something. I did get my 25% discount, but forgot because of the way I saw myself that, oh my goodness, I am that old. I'm the old guy. I'm the old guy getting the discount, thinking of myself more highly. In fact, one version says it like this. The message version says it. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves. I like that. Misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. See, when we don't speak conversion and have conversations, he begin to forget the broken hearts, the deceitful hearts that we have. We forget that we inflate ourselves. And even, thirdly, this is why the conversations are so, are so dangerous, without a heart conversion, you can't change a mind without changing a heart, is thirdly, don't trust your not guilty verdict about yourself. Don't trust your declaration of I'm innocent about yourself. We're not a good judge and jury of ourselves or, or our judgment of I'm innocent. Everybody else's has issues. Listen to the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul says this in first Corinthians four, four, he says, I'm conscious of nothing against me. And then he says this yet, yet I am not by this acquitted. I'm not by this. That doesn't mean it's true is basically what he's saying. But the one who examines me, 
is the, is the Lord. The Apostle Paul was saying, even though I can't think of my issues, it doesn't mean I don't have them. And just because I say I'm not guilty doesn't mean that that's true. Paul says, even though you give yourself a not guilty judgment, it doesn't guarantee it. And that's the challenge for us as believers. How, how does this conversion take place? Remember, because this is, this is where I, I want to lead us today. Jesus says this. He tells us in Luke chapter 12, he says, don't, don't be hypocrites that can interpret everything, all the weather patterns and everything else, but you can't interpret the times that you're going through, the times that you're facing. And then takes the lab, the, that, that, that current event moment, that, that, that injustice that were done to the Jews, and then talks about a tragedy of a tower falling on 18 and says, let me interpret that. Let me bring a conversion interpretation to that. What we need today it's not a conversation, but a conversion, a conversion of the soul. Pilate didn't need to sit on a stage with a microphone. Pilate needed to have his heart changed. Pilate needed to have something help. And can I, can I say this to you? We, as the people of God, need to have God constantly beginning to search our hearts. How, do, how does that conversion take place? I think for, there's, for the church and for just humanity and for people, I think there's two things. Let me speak to the church for a second. The people of God, I believe today, starting with me, need to get serious with David's prayer every single day. With David's prayer. Well, Pastor Tim, what, what, what is that prayer? Okay, just listen for a moment before I give it to you. Let me ask you a question. Here's, here's a city boy asking a question. Not difficult, but if you plant corn, what do you get? Corn. If you plant apples, apple seeds, what do you get? Apples. If you plant nothing, what do you get? Nothing. That's not true. You get weeds. You don't get nothing. You get weeds. See, doing nothing doesn't mean nothing. It means the wrong thing starts to grow. See, when the church does nothing, we grow the wrong things. When the church is not doing anything, we grow the wrong things and the wrong things start sprouting up. What should the church be doing? I'm going to tell you, I believe the prayerless church has allowed the weeds to grow in it. We're no longer, no longer asking God to search us. If, if there is racism in our hearts, if there is lukewarmness, if there is a lack of compassion, if there's no generosity, See, when people don't talk to God, they end up talking to each other. When we don't talk to God about conversion, we end up having conversations with anybody else. And here is why we have to pray. Here is why the church has to pray. Listen to David's prayer that needs to be part of the church today. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Remember, that's the heart that's deceitful. That's the heart that's broken and, and defective. That's, that's the heart that Jeremiah 17 begins to speak about. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me or that phrase actually means see if there's a way of pain in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I, I love how, how it, it's, it's given by Eugene Peterson in the, in the message. He says, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about See for yourself of whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. 
I want to challenge every pastor. I want to challenge every church. I want you to get this date down, October 6th. October 6th, our overseer, Pastor Carter Conlon, has felt a burden to begin to call our, our nation to repentance. In a sense, just like Jesus, calling our nation to conversion. From, from the first house and the first prayer that was ever offered in Plymouth, the very first house built in America, October 6th, we are going to be hosting a prayer meeting for our country before the elections, before anything happens. It's not a political prayer meeting. It is a prayer meeting for our country. It is a call back to God. I, I want to tell, ask you as pastors, I want to ask you as leaders, whether, whether it is you doing this as a church, I want you to join us on October 6th on that Tuesday night to join with us. It is really a call to conversion. It's to say conversations hasn't changed our nation. We need a conversion. A changed America has to be a repentant, a converted America. We do have to repent. That's what Jesus was calling us to. And that conversion starts with prayer. And I want to just challenge you as a pastor, as a leader, wherever you're at around the world, join us on October 6th for what God wants to do. I believe the church has to go back to prayer again. And let me close with this. I, that's, that's my challenge to the church, but let me just speak to people that are listening today because I think this is important. And let me speak to conversion. I want you to hear this. A healthy relationship with any person on this planet is dependent upon a healthy relationship with God. That's the conversion. That's the conversion I'm speaking about. A healthy relationship with any person is dependent upon a healthy relationship with God. Listen to what John says in 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we get to have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. Think think of that. He says in order to be fellowship, we have to understand that we all need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We all need that. See, We need to be first reconciled to God in order to be reconciled to brothers and sisters. We need to be first reconciled to God. That's the conversion part. We're asking people, we're asking people to fix relationships this way. Whether it's based on socioeconomic, ethnicity, whether it's based upon authority, we're asking people to fix this way without even challenging them to fix this. We're, 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 we're trying to educate a deceitful heart. We're educating a deceitful heart. And this is so important. This is the challenge for us as a country. This is the challenge for us as a nation. This is the challenge for us as a planet is instead of having conversations, we need a conversion. We need that repentance. We need God to change us from the inside out. And that's why I believe, I want you to listen to these words. If you don't hear anything today, I want you to hear these words from the 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Be not proud of race, face, or place. It's all grace. It's grace. It's the grace of God. No pride, no pride for what my race is. No pride for what my face looks like. No pride for the place. I am, hi, it's all grace that God has given to me and God has given to you. And when we begin to think that, that, 
that one race or one position or this authority is, has, got, has got the, 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 the lead on everything. We've missed the grace of God. That's why he says in order to have healthy relationships this way, we have to have a healthy relationship this way. We have to be first reconciled to God, conversion, before we can begin to be reconciled with each other. That's why I, I, I want to say something. And I want you to listen to me. Because there are people who get upset that the church hasn't addressed racism. And the people who get upset that the church hasn't addressed racism are asking for Sydney and not Jesus. Because every time, listen to me close, every time we call people to be born again, it gets addressed. It gets addressed. The issue of what's happening it gets addressed when we call people to be born again because we're calling them to conversion. We're calling them for the deceitful heart, the defective heart. It gets addressed when we begin to understand that, we're, that none of us, none of us can declare ourselves not guilty. Instead of inflating ourselves, we begin to go, this heart needs to be changed. I need a conversion, oh God. I need you to change me from the inside out. So can I say this to you today? Can we have a conversion talk today? Can we have a heart talk today? Can we close today with the challenge, not a conversation, a conversion where God changes us from the inside out? Search me, oh God, and change me. Change me. Today, you may be listening around the city, around the country, around the world, and I want to challenge you with the most important question anyone can ever ask you. Have you been born again? It's the most important question. Everything else after that is, is Sydney. It's the opinion of man. Jesus says, John 3.3 3 and John 3.5, you must be born again. And when you ask that question, you're really asking the question of, how, how do I become forgiven? How does my heart change? And when I die, how do I get to heaven? Because think about this. You have to ask yourself this question. Where will I be a hundred years from today? Where will I be? See, some think that water baptism is, is what conversion is. It's not. We're going to celebrate next week on August 23rd. It's going to be incredible. I believe more of you. Think about this. We're going to have a baptism Sunday. As of now, we have a hundred people that have sent in videos and pictures of them being baptized. We're going to show them. But that doesn't get you to heaven. That just shows what God has done inside of our heart and inside of our lives. Going to church can't get you to heaven because you can't go to church because the doors are closed. Well, I'm, I'm a good person. I, that's great. We want you to be good. But that's not what Jesus said. Listen close. Jesus said, we have that no man or woman can see and enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. John 3, 3 and John 3, 5. In fact, Jesus said, you must be born again. That must is pretty compelling. Because what Jesus was saying was this, don't make optional what I said is a necessity. Well, then Pastor Tim, how does that conversion happen? How does that heart change how can I become born again? And that's a Jesus phrase. That's not a Times Square church phrase. It's not a Protestant phrase. It's not a Catholic phrase. It's not even a religious phrase. 
It is a Jesus phrase. This is Jesus who always tells the truth. Remember his word, Psalm 119, 160. That word is absolute and eternal. There's no expiration date. When Jesus said the way to, the way to enter into heaven is by being born again, that's not been expired. It's still the same route to heaven. And Pastor Tim, how does that happen? What is born again? It's just as you had a first birth in a hospital or wherever you were born at, you need a second birth. The first birth was physical. The second birth is spiritual. It can happen to you right now when you're, as you're listening. With, you may have AirPods on and you may be listening privately in a home as you're cleaning a house or sitting in a living room, watching maybe on a, on a laptop. And right where you're at, that conversion, that born again experience can happen. How, Pastor Tim? We tell people all the time, it's as simple as ABC. And each of those letters correspond to a word A. It's admitting that I'm a sinner. It's me getting honest with God, really about my heart, the Jeremiah 17. My heart's defective. That every one of us has been born with a condition called sin. There's not a promise, a pastor, a priest, or a program that could fix us. I'm broken inside. The diagnosis is sin, and I have to admit today that I'm a sinner. Or as one pastor said this, uh, we are not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. And then it's B, believing. Believing that God sent his son to fix that condition inside of us. I can't fix myself by going in water, taking communion, or even showing up at a church building. If we could fix ourselves, then why would God have had to send his son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for me? To go through what he, the, the suffering that he did and then God go, that didn't mean anything. You have to get good in order to get to heaven. If I could get myself to heaven, then Jesus would never have to, have to come. Jesus' death was Jesus being my sin bearer. Him paying the price for me. It was him dying a death I should have died. Because he lived the life that I was supposed to live and couldn't. And then would give us a reward that I didn't deserve called forgiveness of sin and heaven itself. And finally, it's confessing. See, that's the confess word. Confessing him, this is a big word, as Lord. That word means you're in charge now. You're the boss. See, Jesus didn't come to this planet, live here 33 years, die on the cross, and raise from the dead to get us to sit in a church building every Sunday. Jesus didn't die for your sins to get you to go to church. Jesus died and rose again to get you to heaven, to live forever. For his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. See, coming to church on Sunday is religious. But being born again, that's a relationship. God doesn't want your Sundays. God wants every day. And when you say, I want you to be Lord, you're saying, you're the boss now. You're in charge. Your word gets to be imposed on everything that I'm doing. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. And that's why this is called lordship. And just as you had a first birth, God wants you to have a second birth. If you're listening to me today and say, Pastor Tim, I want, I want to take that journey. I want to start that journey, but I'm not perfect. Exactly. Perfect people don't go to heaven because there aren't any. Forgiven people go to heaven. And today, you could be forgiven of your sin. 
you could be born again. This is the conversion talk today. We're getting this relationship healthy and let God begin then to make all the relationships healthy. Just as you have a, a birth date, this can be your second birth date, the born again birth date. Pastor Tim, I, I, I want to take that. I want to, I want to, I want to pray that prayer. I want to do that today, wherever you're at, maybe as a family, Maybe sitting in a living room, maybe sitting in a kitchen, listening to it on a kitchen counter. Maybe this is a, not a Sunday and you're going to listen to it on a Monday or a Tuesday. It's okay. I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to say, if you can, I want you to say it out loud. It's just going to be incorporating all those ABCs and say, God, I want to be born again. I want to I start this brand new walk with you. I want to be forgiven of my sins. This is the conversion talk. This is the conversion talk. So wherever you're at right now, I want you to get ready to pray with me. Listen, when we say amen, don't click it off because Pastor David's going to come on right after we say amen and tell you what a next step is. And maybe for you, the next step is going to be water baptism. So I, I want you to go to the TSC baptism. I want you to text that in. But here's what I want you to do right now. Wherever you're at, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to say these words with me out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen.